Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we come now to open Your Word, to read it together, and then hear it proclaimed, Lord, we ask that You would use Your Word today to minister to us and to our souls. Lord, help us to understand Your Word by Your Holy Spirit. May we see this day how You provide our daily bread and how You give grace. Bless the reading hearing and preaching of Your Word for the sake of Jesus. And we pray in His name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings 17 will begin at verse 7 and read this morning through verse 16. Here now the Word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the Word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we were introduced to Ahab, the king of Israel. He was the son of Amri. Remember, Amri was the worst king until Ahab came. And we saw the wickedness of Ahab. He married a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. He outdid all of those kings that preceded him in his wickedness. He was a worshiper of Baal. And then we heard of Elijah. We are all familiar with Elijah. But this is the, the first time we hear of him in the Scriptures last week when we were in the first part of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Elijah the Tishbite, he came and he preached a one sermon sentence in verse 1 of chapter 17. 
As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then immediately God took him and placed him by the brook Kareth. At that brook, he was getting all the water he needed, even though there was a drought. At that brook, ravens were were coming uh, to feed him meat. And so Elijah was living large last week by that brook while the land suffered. As we come this morning, we we hear in verse 7, after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. We know that earlier Elijah was stretched to the limits of his faith and now he is going to be stretched again because of God is telling him in our text to go and to move and to go to a place that Elijah never would have went to because it was enemy territory. But again, he had to trust God. Now the brook did not dry up all at once, but a little at a time, and Elijah would see that brook go a little lower, and a little lower, and a little lower, until it was nothing. And then God said, it is time to move. And so there are two things we see here in our text. And the first is simply this. And we see this throughout our, our text. And this, it is this. God provides daily bread. Now, we don't think that way today, do we? We think we go to Walmart or to Sam's and we buy our bread. It's what happens when you live in a post-agricultural society. We're not dependent in our minds upon God to supply us with our daily bread. But here we see Elijah and the the widow of Zarephath is very much dependent upon God. We hear of God's command in verses 8 and 9 as the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now it's one thing to be fed by ravens. It's another thing to go to Sidon. Why is that? Well, that's where Jezebel was from. The wicked queen. That was not only her stomping grounds, but the stomping grounds of the false god Baal. And so God is saying to Elijah, Elijah, I want you to go deep in enemy territory. And there you're going to find a widow. Sidon contained great idolatry, unholy sacrifices, temple prostitution that went along with Baal worship. And now God says, Elijah, go there. And so Elijah had to trust God. In verse 10, we hear and see Elijah's obedience. He immediately goes. He arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to Zarephath, he found A woman, a widow, gathering sticks. Elijah obeyed. He went to a place where he probably would not have gone if not commanded by God to go. That reminds us that faithful service to God requires obedience to the same instructions over and over again, even if we don't want to listen to them. It requires us obeying the same instructions God gives to us. And when Elijah arrived, there was still no rain. Sidon was no different. 
Zarephath, no different. There was no rain there. And there he finds a widow gathering sticks and he, he simply asked her for a drink. Now his request did not end with a drink. He also said in verse 11, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she replied to him that she did not have enough. In verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. This widow barely had enough to make a, a, a last meal, one muffin of bread to feed her and her son. And she knew that they were dead. She was down to her last meal. And so what does Elijah do? He, he calms her fears. He says, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah is trusting God to provide. He's giving her the word of God so that she would trust not only Elijah, but the God that he serves. And as he gives the command, he's trusting that God would keep his word. That God would provide bread. At Kareth, the brook Kareth, Elijah trusted in God to provide, and God did. Every day, meat came by way of ravens. Every day that he was there, he had enough water. And so Elijah goes and he says, trust in God. Trust this. Do what I have told you to do, and you will have more than enough. And so God keeps his word. Verses 15 and 16, she went and did as Elijah said, and she and, her, she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Notice, there were no leftovers every day, it's just enough. Just enough bread for her and her son and Elijah to eat. This was daily bread that demanded daily faith in the providence of God. Every day that Elijah stayed there in Zarephath, the widow went to her barrel, and what did she find? She found flour and oil enough to make bread for that day. And so again, God is the provider of our daily bread. Jesus tells us, doesn't He? Pray in this way. And we're to pray for our daily bread every day. We, we see God providing Elijah, this widow, and her son daily bread for them so that they would not die. But not only does God provide daily bread, God also gives grace. And we see that in our text as well. We see grace because... God has grace for the helpless. 
Now, we did not read it this morning, but verse 19 gives us some information about this woman. It tells us that at one time that she was a woman of means because there was an upper room in her home. But she's lost everything. She lost her husband because she's a widow. She was down to her last muffin of bread to make. She had nothing when Elijah appeared. But God gives grace for the helpless. God shows no partiality. But what the Bible does tell us is this, that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He defends those that are helpless. He gives grace to those who are helpless. The point is this. God's grace is for everyone. For the mighty and the poor. For those who have power and those who have none. His saving favor is for the weakest and the most helpless. And it's available for all of us. We do not have to have money or power. We can't buy our way into heaven. We we, we don't have uh, enough reputation to earn our way into heaven. No, we we, we must see that the grace of God is for the helpless. But the second thing we see concerning God's grace is this. It's for outsiders. Go back to verses 11 and 12. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord, your God lives. Now, this woman seemed to be a a good person. This stranger showed up. She didn't have a clue of who Elijah was. He asked for water. She went to get it. He was asking for bread. And he said, and she says, as the Lord, your God lives. The widow had not yet trusted in God for herself. We will see that, but she had not yet done that in this verse. She is still outside the family of God. And not only is she outside, she knows she's outside of it. As the Lord your God lives. Now there are many people today who remain outside the family of of God. They even seem to be good people to us and do good things. But they do not know Christ. And until Jesus becomes their Lord and Savior, they remain outside of the family of God. But God's grace is for those who are outside of His family. And by that grace, He brings us into His family. That is the testimony of all of us here this morning. At one time, we were outside of the family of God. We were enemies of God. We were at enmity with God. We were waging war against God, thinking we were winning. And then God brought us to our knees. He showed us our sin and our need of Christ. And by His grace and mercy, He brought us into His family. And then there's a third thing we see concerning the grace of God, and it is this. It is sovereign grace. God's grace is for those whom God chooses. Saving grace is always sovereign grace. God's 
Grace is God's choice. The grace of God is a matter of divine election. Now think of this. All of the widows in the Middle East, God chose this one. He said, Elijah, go to her. He chose this widow. Was there not more, a more unlikely prospect to receive God's grace than a widow of Zarephath? A widow in the heart of the belly of the beast. Sidon. Turn over for a moment to Luke chapter 4 because Christ gives us some commentary this morning. Luke 4, beginning at verse 24. And he, that is Jesus, said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Well, we hear from Christ that Elijah's visit to this woman was actually a reproach to Israel for their lack of faith. But we also learn that the good news of salvation, the gospel, comes for the Gentiles in Sidon as well as for the Jews in Israel. And so Jesus is teaching us that saving grace is a matter of divine election. It was God's will and purpose to save the widow of Zarephath as he sent Elijah the prophet to her. She was chosen by God to put her personal trust in God. And this is the mystery of the sovereignty of God's saving grace. And many times we get backwards. We think we're sovereign. We think we do the choosing. We think we're the ones who have decided to follow Jesus. But until God changes our hearts and gives us His grace and mercy, we never decide to do anything for Jesus. And so God's grace is sovereign Grace. The, the fourth thing that we learn is this, that God's grace is grace for the dying. Go back to our text. Again, we go to verse 12. What do we learn of the woman and her son? They're going to die. Because just enough for one last meal. Think of a, a, just a little muffin. They'll split in half. They'll eat it. They'll drink whatever water they have left, and they're going to die. There's nothing that they can do about it. The words of this woman, they have a ring of resignation about them. She speaks with a sense of an inevitability. They're wasting away. There's nothing they can do. They will just gather the little they have and, and die. It was at that time that they were about to die. What did God do to them and for them? He delivered them. He sent His prophets. He sent His word. And they were delivered by the Word of God. That reminds us of something. We are delivered from our bondage to sin by the Word of God and by the Spirit. That's why preaching is so important. That's why we will never give up preaching in this church. Because that is the means that God uses to set His people free. 
then the last thing we see concerning God's grace is grace through faith. God's saving grace is only for those who come to God in faith. And the widow, she actually comes to God in faith. In verse 13, Elijah came to the widow with comfort and assurance, but then he put her to the test. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. Elijah is saying to this woman, I want you to use a little bit of flour you have left to make me bread. Now think of that. She is about to die. She's got just enough for her and her son to have their last meal before they pass on. And now Elijah is putting this test before her and saying, I want you to make me something first. And so what did she do? She trusted the prophet. She trusted God. And she went and did exactly what he told her. And so what does that require? Faith. She was trusting the words of the prophet. She was trusting the word of God. That if she went and and did this for Elijah, that what he said concerning the jar of flour never being spent and the jug of oil never being empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She trusted in the word of God. And that is real faith. She took a step of faith. She trusted Elijah. She fed the prophet of God and then made something for herself and her son, and she could only do this if she trusted in the God who provides. So she had faith. Now we hear this, and, and what application can we make? Well, just very simply understand it is God who provides us with our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That is what the Lord taught us to pray. Again, we think it's because of our great working ability that we can go out and make money and, and do all of this and have all of the money we need to go out and buy the bread we need. And we will probably never learn this lesson until God strips it all away from us. And we have nothing. And we're wondering when we wake up one morning, where am I going to get enough food to feed my family? We are dependent upon God, not our jobs, not our paychecks, not our money. To have food in the refrigerator and be able to eat. And so what if that were you? What if you were down to your last meal? Would you trust in the God who provides? Would you trust in the the God who we see providing here for this widow, Gentile widow and his prophet and, and the widow's son providing Every day, exactly what they need. And just as God provides our daily bread, second, God too gives us grace. God still gives grace to the helpless through Christ. You know, usually those who are helpless are the ones that seem to come to Christ more because those who are powerful and have it all, they don't believe they need, they need Jesus. 
Again, God's saving grace is for everyone, from the least to the greatest. Jesus told His disciples, you must become like what? Not like mighty men. You must become like little children. We're to become helpless like little children. And then we will understand our need of Jesus. Until then, we will not understand it. We will think that it's all because of us that we're great. That God loves us so much because we're so good. And we know we're not, but that's what we think. Until we become helpless like a little child, we'll never see the need of His saving grace for us. God still gives grace to outsiders through Christ. Those who are outside of His family, by the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into His family and then we are made children of Almighty God by way of adoption. Think of that. You are now a child of God if you were in Christ. Now many of our families, if we're honest, and we look back far enough, we will see great dysfunction in our families. If you don't want to learn the truth about your family, do not do a genealogy or read one. But think of that. Think of the dysfunction that many of us came out of as far as our earthly families. And we've been brought into the very family of God. How? By the grace and mercy of God. And we have a better family. The family of God, the church, the household of God. God still gives grace to the dying through Christ. As we all know we are all mortal, but it's comforting to know that God's saving grace is also for those who are about to die. That in that time of our death, the grace of God will not be exhausted. But we'll learn of it all afresh. You know, Paul reminds us in Romans 5, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For once, or for one, will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Later in Romans, Paul tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death. And we'll have to wait until we die to know that grace is available to us, but it will be there. God's grace is still sovereign grace. For God is always sovereign in salvation. Again, man is not more powerful than God. If God calls you to His Son, guess what? You're coming. You may come kicking and screaming, but you will eventually come to Christ because God chose you. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1 that God chose His children before the foundation of the world, predestinating us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of God's will, not ours. If we are sovereign in our salvation, then we are God. And guess what? That will never happen. You will never be God. You will only be a creature of God whom He chose to love and to pour out His grace upon. And again, the very meaning of grace means what? We do not deserve it. 
And then finally, God's grace is always given to sinners through faith in Christ. God's grace is always given to sinners who come to Christ in faith and repentance. Always. And know this, the grace of God is not exhausted today. It is not dried up as the brook Careth was dried up. His grace and mercy will never be dried up. All sinners who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus will know of God's grace and mercy and be saved and forgiven of their sins no matter how great they are. And that is the good news of the Gospel. Do you believe that good news this morning? If not then understand you are in need of being saved and redeemed because you cannot do it. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not perfect as God requires of you. And there is only one who was and is, and that is Jesus. And so what are you to do? You're to turn from your sin and have faith in Christ. And as you do that, God will save you. God will forgive you of your sins because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for sinners who would come to Him in faith. But if God is calling you today and you come to Christ in that faith and repentance, understand this. It is not because you chose Him. It is because He loved you from before the foundation of the world. And chose you to be holy in His Son. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning that in the Old Testament we find the Gospel as much as the New. No, Lord, we, I ask and pray that if there are any here that You are now calling to Christ, I know that they will come because your spirit and your grace is irresistible. Oh Lord, give them the very faith they need to cry out unto the Lord for salvation. Change their heart as you do so. Call them to your Son. And Father, as you do, they will experience the grace and the mercy and the love of God as far greater than anything else upon this earth. Or in heaven. No, Lord, we thank you that many of us you have already called, that you chose us, and that you loved us before you created us. Oh, Lord, may we never cease of being amazed by your grace to sinners. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.